Well, good morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma Northwest. Thank you for joining us. I want to echo what has been said. Uh, two moms in this room. Um, this is the mother of my children praying there, and I'm very, very thankful for her. Um, and one day is uh, grossly insufficient to honor uh, our moms and those amongst us who have taken that role in a physical way, in a spiritual way, in an emotional way to so many of us here. So thank you for that. Um, I want to apologize just for some of the stuff we've had going on with the screen here. Stuff happens. Uh, I know you uh, aren't thrown off by that. <laughs> if you've been here at Summer Northwest for a while, uh, it's just what happens when you uh, load in and load out every week. And um, so thanks for being patient with us on that. Um, we are continuing this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus's sermon on the mount. And we're nearing the conclusion of uh, Jesus's teaching here in Matthew chapter 7. We've been in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, three chapters here in the book of Matthew that are devoted to Jesus really laying out for us, uh, for those who follow him and for those who don't, for those who are interested, who are checking out uh, what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. This is what it means to live life with God under the rule of God. And some of these things are intensely practical. Uh, our relationships, the way that we deal with different things in our lives. And some of this is not as much practical as it is visionary. It's saying this is what life could be. This is, what the li this is the life that God desires for us to live. And it's an invitation to come and to experience that, to experience this life with God, happiness, meaning, peace, these things that we long for, that we were created for, that God created us to find in him and him alone. But one of the things that I think is a barrier to experiencing that in our lives, one of the primary barriers to experiencing this good life that God and Jesus invites us into is the trouble that we have really trusting God. The trouble that we have truly, honestly, fully trusting God. And I think that that trouble is rooted in several different things. Uh, we have a desire to be our own God, right? I think we all can kind of admit, like, we prefer to be in charge of our lives. We prefer to make decisions. We prefer to uh, uh, have things happen the way that we want them, when we want them, how we want them. Uh, I think uh, this trouble in trusting God can also be rooted in broken relationships that we experience, the physical relationships that we experience. Some of these things that my wife Jody just prayed for, strained relationships that we have with our mom or our dad, people in our family, um, hurt, pain, grief, loss that we've experienced with people who we love, people who were supposed to love us and care for us, that can contribute to not wanting to fully trust God with our lives. And I also think 
And this is a very real thing. So many of us in this room have experienced God in what we feel as him being distant, him being separate, him not caring, him being too busy about bigger other things than what's going on in our lives. And we look at that and we look at those experiences and we say, how can I trust that? How can I fully give my life over to a God who I don't really think cares? All of those things in our lives contribute to the fact that when we are called to trust, excuse me, trust Jesus, to believe Jesus, to live into this life that God says is the kind of life that will truly make us happy, that will truly give us a sense of meaning, that will truly fulfill the desires that we have at our deepest core. We're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can fully be there. And so we're going to touch on that today from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus continues on um, in this passage uh, with a couple of um, phrases and sayings that if you've grown up either in the church, around the church, uh, are pretty familiar. Common things that we say. Let's read this, starting in verse 7, Matthew chapter 7. And if you're using the Bibles around you, you'll find that on page 474. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. If you have grown up in a church setting and heard this preached and taught, you have likely heard it preached and taught as a lesson on persistent prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking, being persistent in prayer. What Jesus is laying out here, it seems kind of like a formula, right? There's kind of a progression. You ask for it. You seek after it. You, You arrive and you knock and you beat on God's door until he gives it to you. And what Jesus is saying here in the asking and the seeking and the knocking, that would have been familiar to the folks who were sitting here, his disciples, the people who were listening to him teach, because they would have been familiar with Jewish wisdom teaching that encouraged and urged the people of God to seek God with all of their hearts, to to 
pursue God with all of their being. And when they do that, God will be found. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And so as Jesus is talking, his folks here would have understood that this is not just about the simple act of praying, but this is about a whole being orientation to God. That all of us, all of who we are, our mind, our body, our soul is oriented towards God, towards pursuing God, seeking after God, aligning our life with God. And the promise in the Old Testament over and over and over again is that those who do that, those of whom that kind of orientation is true, will find God. They will experience God. Over and over again, the Jews, God's people in the Old Testament here, we're told, seek after God and you will find him. That God is not hiding from you. God is not making it hard for you to find him. He wants to be found. He wants to be known. He wants you to experience him. And so when Jesus lays this down, when he teaches this, he's not giving a challenge. Like, hey, here's your challenge if you're ready to accept it. Go find God. Go receive good things from God. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to know God, to experience God. And so what Jesus saying, is saying here is not as much about how to pray, but more about who we're praying to. This is not a formula that Jesus is giving us to say, you want something from God. You want something good from God. Here's how to get it. As much as it is saying, when you pray, I want you to know who you're praying to. Look back at this passage again with me. Verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Dads, moms in the room, why do you give good gifts, give good things to your children? That's kind of a stupid question, isn't it? Because a lot of us just assume this is what we do, right? We, we don't think about it. We don't calculate that in our head. We don't sit there and weigh the pros and cons of giving good things to people that we really, really love, do we? It's just part of who we are. And Jesus here lays out a stark, stark contrast. He's giving, he's teaching and using extremes here as he's trying to compare what we do. Listen, if your kid asks you for bread, Jesus says, it's not a gray area where you're like, well, maybe bread's not the best thing for you. Why don't you have some baby carrots instead of all those carbs? That'll, that'll fill you up more. That'll be better for you in the long term. Jesus doesn't say that when our kids and those we love ask for a fish, that he's like, well, no, you know, if you're a vegan, maybe you say, well, we're not going to eat fish. Here's some wheat grass that you can have instead. 
Okay, he's not like trying to put us and use an analogy that kind of leaves it up to the discretion of those who are hearing. He uses stupid examples, right? Silly examples here. He says, if someone you love, if your child comes and says, I want bread, how many of you give him a rock and say, hey, chew on that instead? If your son or your daughter or your niece or your nephew, your grandson, your granddaughter come to you and say, hey, can I have a fish? How many of you would say, no, but I've got this poisonous snake over here that you can play with instead? No, that's what Jesus is trying to do. The look that you have on your face right now is what he's trying to bring out. He's trying to make it clear that these are stupid responses to people that we really love. Because the people that we really love, we want the best for, right? We want to give them good things. We want those that we love to have what is good and wholesome, not what is fake or what is dangerous to them. If this is what we do, if this is how we treat and respond to those that we love, We, us, people who are flawed, people who are inconsistent, people who are limited in both our resources and our power to bring about these good things, how much more will God, who is perfect, who is wholly good, do for those that he loves? Jesus is employing this lesser to better argument that he does so often. He's painting a picture of people and of a way of being that we as humans judge as good and as right and as the way to be the best of the best to help us see that God is even better. If that's the way you, who are flawed, treat the ones that you love, can you imagine how the God of the universe, who is perfect, will treat the ones he loves. Listen to this this morning. Write this down. We receive good things, not because of the quality of our ask, but because of the character of our God. We receive good things, not because of the quality of our ask, or how much we ask, or even what we ask for. We receive good things because of the character of our God, the one to whom we are asking. So if this is true, if Jesus says this is true, your father in heaven is good, your father in heaven is perfect, your father in heaven is better than you, then why is it so hard for us to ask? Why is it so hard for us to ask? If it doesn't matter how much we ask or how good we ask or what we ask for, if it only matters about the character of our God, our Heavenly Father, then why is it so difficult for us to go to our Father and ask And ask, knowing that we will get good things. 
for those of you who have kids of your own, for those of you who have grandkids, for those of you who have nieces and nephews that you spend time with, you know that kids ask for everything all the time, right? It's incessant all the time. Can I have this? Can we do this? Can this person come over and play? Can I have this cookie? Can I have this candy? It doesn't matter when. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much. It's asking all the time, asking all the time. And our kids, they aren't weighing all of the different possibilities, right? They're not thinking of, man, what, what will mom and dad think of me if I ask for this? What, what reputation will I get if I ask for this? I mean, if I ask for this now, will that hinder me from getting that later? They're not thinking about that. They're not making these pros and con lists in their mind. They just ask. They just let it fly. Why? Because they don't know any better sometimes. Because they know that we love them and we are already giving them good things. They trust. They have an expectation that they will get what they ask for, right? And there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom that they have in coming. And it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what about, just saying, I want this, can I have it? They have a freedom that allows them to do that. And for those of us who are on the receiving end of that ask, we hope that our kids are willing to do that because of what they've experienced of us, right? We hope that they have that freedom because they know that we love them. They know that we care for them. They know that we want and give them good things. And sometimes we joke, you know, if you're grandparents, if you're, uh, you know, the favorite uncle or the favorite aunt, we kind of joke around, you know, well, you're going to spoil them. They're going to take advantage of you. And we kind of talk about how that's like a bad thing, that if we give people too much too many good things that they will take advantage of. But I want to ask you this morning, what's the alternative of that? What if they stopped asking you for anything? What if they were too afraid to ask? What if they felt like they had used up all of their asks? What if they didn't ask because they thought that you were too busy to listen? What if they didn't ask because they really felt like you didn't care about them? What if they didn't ask because they knew you would give them bad things instead of good things? What if that changed? What if they lived like that. That would crush us, right? To know that the people that we loved were too afraid to ask us for something. To know that the people we care most about felt like we didn't care about them. That would crush us to know that. Sometimes we can get tired of kids asking us, but if they never ask us for anything ever again, What would that communicate to us about how they viewed us? I think the same is true in prayer. 
Jesus here is telling his disciples in this Sermon on the Mount here that kingdom life comes with a cost, right? Like everything that we have talked about over the last few months about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Yes, it's the good life. Yes, it meets our desires. It gives us meaning. It gives us purpose. It, it allows us to, to know and to know, be known by God. But there is a cost that comes with that. It's not easy, right? Every one of us in this room who knows Jesus and who is following Jesus has experienced the pain and the grief and the rejection and the death of certain dreams and wants and desires because you are following Jesus. It's not easy. It's difficult. And Jesus knew that his disciples would have doubts. They would have doubts about this. If I pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, will he do it? If I ask God to give us our daily bread, will he give it to us? If I ask him to forgive us and to help me forgive someone else, will he help? If I pray that he won't lead me into temptation, but he will deliver me, will he really do that? Will he really do what he's promised to do? These are real questions. These are things that probably many of you in this room have wrestled through at different times in your life. Maybe you're wrestling through it right now. Is it worth it to go to God? Because will he really do what I'm asking him to do? Many of us have asked, haven't we? And God hasn't answered, has he? We've asked for good things. Things that we know God wants us to ask. And God's been silent. I want to tell you this morning that I don't have the answer to that. I don't know why it is that when we pray for a loved one to come to know Jesus before they die, and they die before they come to know Jesus, I don't know why that happens. I don't know why we pray for someone's healing and they die before they are healed. I don't know why we pray for justice and we pray for mercy. We pray for provision and we're still suffering and we're still being oppressed and we're still in want. And I'll be honest with you, the answers that we often give each other when we don't hear from God, well, God doesn't answer. He does answer, but he doesn't always answer in the way that we think he should answer. Or God can answer, yes, but sometimes it's a no or it's a wait. Or we really haven't asked with the right motives, so maybe that's why God's not answering or God just wants to develop our faith and our trust in him. All of those answers have some truth in them for sure. But when you are in that moment 
where you are standing face to face with an unanswered prayer, something good that you prayed for, something that you knew was aligned with God's heart and you prayed for it and it still hasn't happened, those answers fall woefully short, don't they? And I wish, <laughs> I wish that I had something more to offer this morning, but I don't. I don't know why, but there are some things that I do know. I know that God is God, and I know that I'm not. I know that God can do things that I can't. I know that God sees things that I don't. And because of that, as hard as it is for me, I can't stand in judgment over God. I can't presume to know why God does the things that he does, how he does them, and when he chooses to do them. I just can't. But I know that God is good. And that's where asking in faith comes in. That we are not only asking in faith that God will answer when we ask, but we are also trusting, and maybe more importantly, that faith comes in that we are trusting that God is who he says he is. Even when I don't receive what I've asked for, even when I'm confused about what I have received, I still trust that God is who he says he is. And I know for some of you that, that's just, that may not be good enough this morning, and I'm sorry. But God is God and I'm not. And that's the best I got. That's the best I got. And when we look at this and what Jesus says here, it's an invitation to come and again, to trust God, to trust that God is good, to trust that God can bring about good in my life, but also in the lives of other people. And that's why this invitation here is not just about us and our relationship with God. And it's not just about prayer. This entire sermon that Jesus has been preaching here, the, the tenor of the, the things that he would continue to preach for the rest of his time on earth could be summed up in this, love God and love others. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule, right? We've learned this. We kind of live with this motto. I mean, you can go out and find this in, in completely unreligious places. You could, I, you know, you could go to the, the, the BMV and apply for a driver's license and take a driver's test. And probably on some point in that application or that test or, you know, some of the rules of the road, what will it say? Drive like you want others to drive. And if it doesn't say it, it's implied, right? We treat others the way that, we're, that we would want to be treated. We teach our kids to live with that mindset. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a Christian. This is just kind of a transaction, a, a societal, cultural transaction that we tend to live with. But here's what I want you to get this morning. That trusting that God is good and that he will answer us empowers us 
and gives us the ability to treat each other the way that we should be treated. Trusting that God is good. Trusting that God will answer us when we pray to him empowers us and enables us to live this. To treat others the way that we would want to be treated. To treat others the way that we should be treated. Asking in prayer is the way that we achieve good for others. Asking God in prayer is the way that we achieve the good that we want for others. Trusting God is good and that he is able to bring about that good, right? So let me close by looking at James chapter 4, if you'd turn there with me. James chapter 4, and I want to tie this together here because I think that this is really important. James chapter 4, and if you're using the Blue Bible, it's on page 587. James writes this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever you suppose it is to no purpose, I'm sorry. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's why I think this passage is important to what we're talking about today. James says here that the conflict that so often happens between us starts within us. The conflict that so often happens between us has its roots in us. 
And he specifically says it's our self-centered and selfish desires. That's what causes the fights that we have with each other. That's what causes the arguments and the disagreements and the conflict that we so often have with each other. We are so committed in our culture. We are ingrained. It is the air that we breathe to be in autonomous individuals, right? We are taught from a very early age. Everything in our society revolves around this idea of you as the individual. What I want, when I want it, how I want it. And we don't use those terms because we sound like a three-year-old if we were to use those terms. We don't throw uh, temper tantrums on the ground and kick our feet. I want it, I want it, I want it, and I want it now. But how often do we live our lives like that? And how often do we treat each other like that? That we desire something, we want something, and someone else is standing in the way of that. Someone else has come between me and what I want. I love you. I'm committed to you. I value you except when you don't do what I think you should be doing. Except when you aren't treating me the way I want to be treated. And that's why I think when we look back at Matthew chapter 7, that these verses 1 through 12, I think there's a connection there. And I think that there's a reason that Jesus, as we looked at a few weeks ago, speaks so strongly about our desire and the temptation that we have to condemn and to judge each other. To speak critically to each other. And let me explain it like this. Living in God's kingdom means that we seek good for each other, right? Living in God's kingdom means that we step into each other's lives as friends, as fellow followers of Jesus to encourage each other to follow Jesus, right? Living in God's kingdom also means that we step into each other's lives as fellow disciples and followers of Jesus when correction and instruction is needed, when we've gone off the path, when we're doing things that are hurting ourselves, hurting our relationship with God, hurting our relationship with other people, we step in and we say, man, I'm concerned about this. We need help here. I'm pointing this out in someone's life. And so often that starts off as a good desire. But how often does it turn into conflict? How often have we been in community with each other that you desire something, that you desire good for someone else, and that desire leads to conflict with them, and it leads to a strain in that relationship with them, and it ends up with condemnation towards them. A critical spirit, a dismissive attitude, rejection. Why? Why? Why is it that we so often judge and criticize each other? It's because we have taken the place of God. It's because we have taken the authority that only belongs to God upon ourselves. It's because we've assumed something about someone else. 
It's because their preferences are not in line with my preferences. Even when it's legitimate and we see something in someone's life and we say, that is wrong. That needs to be brought out for that person's good. We can turn it into, I want that person. I want the good for that person. And I'm taking it upon myself to make sure that that happens. I'm putting the control in my hands. And instead of asking God, we follow our own instincts. We follow our own desires. We follow our own timetable for other people. And James says here that when those passions start going and those desires start going, even if they are good desires, they can morph into desires that are selfish, desires that are self-centered. And that is what causes conflict. You know why you don't have what you want in your life? You know why you don't have what you desire for someone else's life? Because you have not asked. You have not asked. We don't ask because we don't trust that God is good. We don't ask because we don't trust that God will act. It's easier for us to take control of our own lives and to try to take control of somebody else's life, isn't it? It's easier for us to trust our own instincts about what we should be doing and about what someone else should be doing. It's easier for us to be committed to our own timeline for getting what we want and seeing something happen in someone else's life. And instead of asking God, we put ourselves in the place of God. And James says, that is the way of the world. That's what the world does. That's what people who don't follow Jesus do. They manipulate the circumstances. They follow their own instincts. They try to control the situation. They try to get other people to do what they want them to do. And James says, that is not the way of God. That's not how it should be for followers of Jesus. Instead, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. Lean on the grace of God. And as we humble ourselves before God, we will be humble with each other. As we humble ourselves before God, we will be humble with each other. And so I want to ask us this morning, will you, will we collectively commit to be a community that not only believes that God can and will bring about good in ways that we can't, but that we will also commit to treat each other like that's true. That in our relationships with each other, that we will not be critical, that we will not judge, that we will not condemn, that we will not isolate, but that we will trust that God wants the good for me and God wants the good for you and he is able to bring it about and I am not. When we choose to live in that way, and it's not just, hey, I'm choosing right now, but it's a day after day after day going to Jesus and saying, I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you want the good for this person's life. 
And I am going to follow you in this. I'm going to submit to you in this. When we are willing to do that, what does it look like? It means we are patient with each other. It means that when we see things in each other's life, we don't jump on and assume we know what's going on, but we are patient with each other. When a word of correction and instruction needs to be said, we don't just follow our own instincts. We go to God and we say, God, I acknowledge that you have been in this person's life long before I ever showed up. We acknowledge that God has been working in their life in ways that I don't know. And we acknowledge that the thing each other needs the most is the power of God to bring about change, to bring about growth, to bring about this kingdom life. What if that was true of our community? What if that was true about us, that we loved each other so much because we, we trusted the goodness of God We humbled ourselves before God. We submitted to God. And it turned out for love in our community, love in our relationships with each other. And so the question for us this morning is this, do you trust that God is good? When you look in your own life, the things that you want the things that you desire, the good that you'd want to experience, do you trust that God wants those same things? That God knows what is good for you and that God wants you to experience that goodness? Do you trust that God not only wants it, but he is able to bring it about in your life, in the lives of each other, that God is good and that God wants us to experience good and that God is able to bring about that goodness. That doesn't get us off the hook for being in relationship with each other. That doesn't get us off the hook from being a faithful friend and a brother and a sister to each other. But what that does is it takes the responsibility off us for changing our lives for bringing about the good in our lives, for changing other people's lives, for bringing about the good in their lives. It takes the responsibility out of our hands and puts that responsibility right where it belongs, in the hands of our good and our loving Father. So this morning, will we commit to being people that believe that and that live like that? Will we be a community that commits to not only believing that, but treating each other like that. The invitation of Jesus here this morning is come and ask. There's nothing that's too big. There's nothing that's too hard. There's nothing that you can can come to God with that he cannot handle in your life and in the life of someone else. The greatest evidence of the goodness of God is what we remember and proclaim to each other every Sunday morning. Paul wrote in Romans 8 that God did not hold back his only son, but gave him up for us all so, so we can trust that God will give us every other good thing that we need. 
God met our greatest need in Jesus. And so we can trust that he will meet every other need that we have. He is good and he loves us. And so this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, if you are following Jesus, if your hope is in Jesus, come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. We remember together and we proclaim to each other that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. So I want to invite you this morning to come and do that. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're not a Christian, there's no shame here. This is not just a ritual that will get you in good with God this morning. This is a symbol of those things that we believe in, that we hold on to. And so if you have questions this morning, we would love to talk to you about it. Don't come and just participate in this because you think you have to. It's okay to stay in your seat. God is good. God loves us. God cares for us. And God is powerful enough to bring about the good in our lives and the good that we desire for each other. Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for this teaching this morning. Because I know personally, and I know I can speak for so many in this room, God, we find it hard to trust you. We find it hard to get over ourselves, to get over our own wants and our own desires and the way that we think things should be, what we even desire that's good in our lives and, and, and the good for other people that we desire. It's hard for us to let that go and relinquish that responsibility of bringing that about to you. And so I just pray that in your spirit, you would humble us, that you would bring us to a greater point of dependence on you, that you would show us, that you would show us the inability that we have to do what we really desire to do and that we need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you that you give more grace. I pray that we would be a community this morning of people who believe that you are good, who trust that you have the power to bring that good about in our lives and that we would live in relationship with each other that reflects that we know that that's true. In Jesus' name, amen.